Welcome to the Hey Legal Quiz with me, Edith Forrest. The aim of this quiz is to provide some light-hearted entertainment during lockdown and beyond. I'll be asking 20 questions of leading Scottish legal figures, questions which give insight to their careers and their lives beyond the law. So let's begin. Good morning, Donald. Thank you so much for agreeing to undertake the, the Hey Legal quiz. We're really grateful to you um, for, for agreeing to do that, do this for us. Uh, so thank you. Um, my pleasure, Edith. My pleasure. We have 22 questions. Uh, the quiz is growing uh, as, it ca- as it goes on. So uh, we'll just get started. So the first question, Donald, is if you weren't a lawyer, what would you be? Um, almost certainly a pathologist. Okay. Uh, at school, I was being steered towards medicine uh, until I encountered a principal teacher of physics who hated me only marginally more than I hated him. And that killed my interest in science stone dead. Uh, and I became a lawyer. If I'd become a doctor, it would have been pathology because I really wouldn't want to have anything to do with sick people. Mm. <laughs> and. It's a big question to ask, but do you regret that? Was that your, was the pathology medicine route your first kind of love or? No, it, it, it was the one that I was pushed towards by the school I was in. Now, that was what they wanted um, pupils, certain pupils to do was to pursue the science route through St. Andrews University, as it would have been at that time. Okay. Um, but my first love really was always the law. So it wasn't, it wasn't a great sacrifice. Okay. All right. Question number two. Did you have a nickname at school? And if so, what was it? And why were you given it? If I did have a nickname, I genuinely haven't a clue what it was. I'm not aware of ever having had a nickname. I I was called various things at school, uh, all of which are far too sensitive for your tender ears. (laughs) Um, But I don't know. I was never aware of of having a nickname. and, And I've almost invariably been Donald. Okay. I've never been called Don, and most certainly never Donny. <laughs> Not under any circumstances. All right, you just wouldn't put up with that. No, no, no. No. Okay. Question number three: Were you a swatty type at school? Um. No, and I probably should have been. I was very good at passing exams. Okay. Um, I could do well in exams. Uh, And I didn't find school terribly difficult. I should probably have worked harder and I might actually have done rather better. (laughs) I think you've done pretty well uh, since then anyway, but uh, you feel you could have done a bit better at school itself? Well, uh, things have changed, of course, because it's a long, long time since I was at school. But when I look at the higher passes that Mm -hmm. uh, I obtained, uh, and you compare them to what the kids now need to get into university. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have got anywhere at all with the certificate I obtained, but right. that was enough to get me in. All you had to do was to pass a certain number of hires. You didn't need all A's or B's or C's or anything else. Yeah. I just think looking back, and if I had worked harder, I probably could have had better school results, but then it probably wouldn't have made any difference to me. No, no. All right. Question number four. Uh, what was your first job? If by that you mean a kind of a full-time paid job, it was as a lorry driver. 
Okay. I, uh, I worked for a firm in Dundee, driving lorries and delivering bread to shops. Right. And I did that uh, as a summer job, full time. And I also did it occasionally at Christmas and Easter and if they were short of a, short of a driver. Okay. So was, that driver. Some, was that something you enjoyed? Loved it. Really? Absolutely loved it. Were you the stereotypical lorry driver honking at folk and causing... All of that, food? yeah. All of that. <laughs> All of that. Um, if I'd been driving my lorry and you were standing by the roadside, I would have screamed to a halt whether you wanted a lift or not. <laughs> Oh dear. All right, question number five. How do you define success, Donald? I thought about this question a bit. Um, For me, success is whatever you do, knowing that you've given it 100%. If you fall below that standard, I would regard that as a personal failure. So in what we do, some cases you're successful, a lot of cases you're not successful. Mm-hmm. But as long as you can come away from a case and know that you have done everything you possibly could, you gave it 100%. I think that is success. For mm-hmm. me, anyway. Okay. Well, I think I don't think anyone can accuse you of doing anything less than that. That's one thing that certainly I think most people I know certainly admire in you, Donald. So a very successful man indeed. That's very kind of you to say so, but I have no money to lend you, Edith. (laughs) Question number six, favourite drink? Uh, Grey Goose Vodka Martini, served to me while I am sitting on the back of a floating gin palace, uh, bobbing around in the Caribbean Sea with the sun burning down on my head. Lovely. That would do. That would do, I know, especially today. And keep, and keep them coming. <laughs> keep them coming. All right. Um, number seven, what don't you like about your job? Well, the honest answer would be judges not doing what I tell them to do. <laughs> um, and likewise with juries. But really, I hate the hanging about that we have. We spend an awful lot of time waiting on things happening. Uh, I am not a good waiter. I don't have the patience for that. I, I, I hate hanging about. I hate queues. I hate anything that involves doing nothing. It just seems to me to be a total waste of time. So uh, that's the bit I don't like. Yeah. Of which, as you say, there is a considerable amount at times in the. Oh, I, I, well, you know what I like it is you come in to start at, at 10, uh, and at 12 o'clock, nothing has happened. <laughs> Uh, and, and as one of our colleagues quite famously said, if we're going to do all, can we hurry up and do all? Um, but no, we just dither and we dither and we dither. Yeah. Um, and I really, I cannot be bothered with that. <laughs> okay. Uh, question number eight. Which was your most memorable case to date? <sighs> it would probably have to be the trial of Paul Ferris for the murder of Arthur Thompson Jr. Um, Because it had virtually all the great characters of Glasgow in that trial one way or another 
Mm-hmm. Uh, young Arthur dead. His father was a, a witness. Ferris was regarded by the police uh, almost as a kind of heir apparent to Arthur Thompson Sr. Um, it was prosecuted by the now Lord Uist. Uh, and also, he, when he took ill, uh, Ian Bonamy came in to prosecute the case. We had super grasses. John McCluskey was on the bench. It just had everything that was going for it. I forget how many charges that there were, but of course Ferris walked on each and every one of them. Yeah. Um, he was in the witness box for a week, uh, and he was terrific in the witness box. I mean, he took on Roddy McDonald, and, and uh, there was very little doubt as to who came out on top of that particular exchange. <laughs> oh, dear. And was it, I mean, when was that trial? What, what year was that? Oh, blimey. That's a long, long time ago now. That will be, that must be nearly 30 years ago, 25 to 30 years ago, I suppose. Ian Donaldson was my junior in that case. Um, But it it went on for three months. And it was, at the time, the longest ever running single accused murder trial. uh, And may still be, I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, but it was a terrific case because all these legendary characters, because so many of the witnesses were also people of legend at the time in and around the, the Glasgow underworld. Yeah. Um, and of course, it, it, it could never happen again. And, and the world has changed so much since yeah. then. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the emergence of a supergrass uh, really gave it terrific character. Mm-hmm. It was just a fantastic case. Okay. Um. Tell me one thing, Donald, that would surprise me about you. Um, I'm extremely shy. Okay. We'll say no more. <laughs> well, I, I, I can be me, the QC, or I could be me, the chairman of a football club, um, but being the real me, I find very difficult. I, I, I could stand up and speak to a dinner of a thousand people and it wouldn't, caused me to bat an eyelid. Yeah. But for example, walk, walking into the room for the pre-dinner drinks where you meet the top table and so on, I hate it because I, I have no small talk. Right. I, I can't make casual conversation. Um, and when I am confronted by the sixth person and I say to them, the weather's rather unpleasant today, I'm thinking, hey, I'm boring myself here. <laughs> Never mind anybody. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, unless I'm in character, uh, I am very shy. Okay. All right. Um, question number 10. Sorry, just realigning my questions here. Question number 10. What traits in others irritate you the most? Oh, no, how long have you got? <laughs> I mean, apart from breathing, you mean? <laughs> I could probably sum it up best by telling you a very short story. Uh, Not that many years ago, something happened in court that uh, had annoyed me. Uh, I was in the gown room, blistering the paint off the walls. And one of my colleagues, uh, one of our colleagues, uh, commented, uh, even by my own standards, I was being particularly grumpy. And I rounded on him and said, listen, there's only two things in this world annoy me. And before I could develop the point, the now Dean of Faculty said, yes, everything and everybody. (laughs) Apart from that, nothing. 
So that, that sums it up. Otherwise, you're perfectly up. happy with the Perfectly day. happy. As, as the day is long, I am content. <laughs> Endlessly cheery. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, <clears throat> question 11. Favourite flavour of crisps? Cheese and onion. All right. 12. There's a story about that, too. Um, okay. When I was a wee boy, long, long before you were a twinkle in your father's eye, a packet of crisps, and that's what you got, crisps, with little bags of salt, uh-huh. tuppence, that's two old pence, <laughs> and they brought out a new brand of crisps, and it was called Cheese and Onion. Okay. And they were tuppence halfpenny. And my late father said, that'll never catch on. Nobody's going to pay tuppence halfpenny for a packet of crisps. <laughs> and for that reason alone, cheese and onion crisps have always been my favourite. <laughs> the old man got it just a bit wrong. But <laughs> I can remember him to this day making that great pronouncement. Oh dear. I think you probably struggle to get a plain packet of crisps nowadays, given all the different flavours you can get. Um, I, I think you can, but yes, I think you need to go looking for them. Yeah, yeah. I think you need to go looking for them. <laughs> cheese and onion, always cheese and onion. And cost a wee bit more than top and tape me as well. <laughs> you don't even know what top and tape me was, what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> I saw the blank look coming over you. What are talking about now? Yeah. Okay. Um, question number 12 is what book would you recommend that everyone should read? The Quran. Okay. Uh, Why is that? Well, um, Islam is a powerful force in the world. There's no doubt about that, whether people like it or not. And it is a force that is being used for good, but it's also being used by some people for evil. Um, Islamic... I think we would all do well to read the Quran and actually understand what the Quran says. Because a lot of the claims that are made by people for the Quran are not in any version of the Quran I've ever read. Um, and as you know, I, I have no religious beliefs of any kind, so I, I look at it uh, from a neutral point of view. And I just think that the more people who understand Islam, um, the better we might be able to live together with all the various religions that there are. And okay. Islam is, is in every country, but certainly in, in Britain, there are going to be more and more adherents of Islam as the years go on. That's, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, it, it, it's not an easy read, I have to say. <laughs> I'm, not I'm not suggesting it's again bedside reading, but uh, I would... I would if I had to pick one book, it would be the Quran at the present time. All right. Okay. Question number 13. Do you have any irrational fears? I don't think I do. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I don't like heights much. Mm-hmm. Um, but spiders, things like that. Um, no, I've seen too many dead bodies to be squeamish about things like that. Um, no, I don't think I have any irrational fears. No. Okay. Your oldest pair of shoes is question 14. And that's a challenging question. <laughs> uh, because I am a hoarder. I can't throw anything out. Okay. 
And I have not the slightest doubt that in the back of the wardrobe, I could find you a pair of shoes that would be 30 plus years old. Well, <laughs> we should probably fall to bits if I were to put them on. <laughs> I've still got them because I, I just I cannot part with things. Um, okay. So, not shoes that you would wear, but that they exist. But I might. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> it's like a shirt. Or a pair of trousers that will never fit me again, but they might one day. You never know. <laughs> this is it, isn't it? The things you put in a charity bag and then you're raking about, thinking, "Why am I throwing that out? I might might need it at some point." Oh no, 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 no! Don't do no. charity bags. No, <laughs> no, I keep everything. <laughs> Doesn't even get that far. I'll give them. I'll give them money, but I'm not passing with anything that I have. No, no. I, 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 um, Okay. Wardrobes and cupboards and drawers jammed with things. I just, I just, I can't bring myself to throw away. Okay. And if I did throw them in the bin, you're quite right, or a bag, I would then go and take the whole lot out again because uh-huh. it would just worry me that one day I'd be looking for that jacket and it'd be gone. Absolutely, you might need it. You never know when. You never know. <laughs> Question number fifteen is: Who had the biggest influence in your career in the law? It would be, depending on where we, we take as a starting point, it would be one of three people. It would either be Michael Dennison, Peter Manuel, or Joe Beltrami. Okay. Well, there's an interesting combination. Absolutely. Because you don't know who Michael Dennison is. Don't know the first, but I know the second too. <laughs> In the late 1950s um, and into the 1960s, there was a television program called Boyd QC, played by the late Michael Dennison. All right. Um, when television sets were only black and white, and were about the size, the screen was about the size of this laptop. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not even so big as this laptop, and, and you peered at it through all sorts of funny little dots that you used to call snow and so on. But Michael Dennison was a QC barrister in England, who was always up against the establishment. And I, I think it would be about 1956 the series started on television. It ran for seven or eight years. So I was five when I first started watching Boyd QC. And I was allowed to stay up late because of my interest in Boyd QC. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember thinking, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't understand it, but I just thought that's what I want to do. And what age would you have been then, Donald? Five or six. Okay. Maybe it was maybe it was dressing up in silk. Of course, that was that was probably just <laughs> an early tendency and a fondness for silk. Um, but that's that was why when when I was at school and being steered toward medicine uh, and science subjects, uh, in my heart of hearts, I thought, no, this is not what I want to be. This is not what I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. I, I always had the notion to be the, the defence lawyer. Yeah. Um, the other would be the mass murderer, Peter Manuel, because again, I would have been seven at the time of the manual trial uh, and in those days every word of a trial like the manual trial was reported in the newspapers okay. and I, I read Accurately. it every oh I can't <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know, we're talking about journalists here it was not going to be accurate <laughs> um, but I read every single word of it and I mean, my father couldn't understand this at all I, mean, why, why I was interested in uh, a trial about murder when nobody else was, nobody else knew anything. And 
at least not in Couton Beast, about manual and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but something about the whole thing just gripped me. Um, and then when I, when I started off, there were really two people when I started off in the law that were a big influence on me. One was the, the, the solicitor the, um, who was uh, the senior partner, Bill Laird of Alan McDougall and Company, or our senior partner of Alan McDougall and Company. Mm-hmm. And um, I apprenticed to them, and Bill and I became almost instantly very close friends. It was just one of these things, despite the huge gap between us, uh, we got on very well. Um, and he taught me the, the need to pay attention to detail and always to know more about what you were doing than the person who was your opponent. That way, lay the route to success. And when eventually I did get into doing crime in a big way, uh, Joe Beltrami, Joe and I became friends, and Joe and I did many cases over many, many years. And mm-hmm. um, when I said at his, his funeral, that he he was my mentor, he was my close professional colleague, but most importantly, he was my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose these four men had a huge influence on me uh, in my mm-hmm. legal career. Okay, really interesting answer. Thank you. Um, perhaps a simpler one now. Number sixteen is your. What's your favourite chocolate bar? Uh, I'm not a great lover of chocolate. If I was buying a chocolate bar, Cadbury's Dairy Milk, pure and simple. Does the job. Nothing, nothing fancy, does the job. Need a bit of chocolate sometimes, that would be it. Okay. <laughs> Question 17, what's the fanciest event you've ever been to? Um, it would be a St Andrew's night dinner organised by the Java St. Andrews Society and it was held in Jakarta in Indonesia. Okay. Um, and it was more Scots than anything I have ever seen in Scotland. Um, they were doing dances not only could I not do, I had never heard of, <laughs> you know, the, the, the Duke of Perth's third cousin's auntie and all this kind of thing. What the hell is that? Um, <laughs> And the backdrop was a, a, a model facade of, I think it was Edinburgh Castle that they, they built for the purposes of this evening. And they had dance cards. and I mean, it was incredibly formal. Yeah. Um, more Scottish than anything you could find in Scotland. More Scottish than anything you'd ever get in Scotland. <laughs> All these expats talking so fondly of the old country. <laughs> uh, none of which had any <laughs> Didn't recognise it. Um, none of them had any intention of returning. Um, and I always remember that night, eventually speaking to this chap who, who was about at the, the end of his stint as an expat. Mm-hmm. And I said, to him, what are you going to do? He said, oh, I've got a house in Perth. I said, oh, you're coming back to Scotland? He said, no, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of summed it up. But I mean, it was a wonderful night. Um it ended up with going to the, the society's chieftain's house for breakfast at uh, something like nine or ten in the morning. I mean, it went right through the night. Wow. And then you carried on, all people all there, and didn't, well, the kilts and the formal stuff and dinner uh-huh. suits, or what had started off as dinner suits, of course, by that time. <laughs> um, that was a fantastic night. Oh, great. And I can always remember meeting one of our other colleagues, Peter Gray. Mm-hmm. You may not remember this, but I was in Glasgow High Court, and I left Glasgow on the Thursday to go to Jakarta. 
um, and I was going to be back in court on the Monday. Mm-hmm. And I had I had showered and changed to go and get the plane down to London to head off, and I met Peter Gray. Uh, and I ha- I was wearing what I thought one would wear to travel to Indonesia in you know the sort of safari types suit outrageous attire. <laughs> and Peter Gray said, "Where are you going?" I said, "I'm going to Jakarta." He said, "What for?" I said, "For dinner." He said, when are you coming back? I said, I'll be here on Monday. He said, you're mad. I said, listen, you come in on Monday, people will say to you, what did you do this weekend? And you can say, well, I cut the grass or I painted the fence. <laughs> and somebody said to me, what did you do this weekend? I said, I went to Jakarta for dinner. <laughs> Superb. Oh, dear. It was quite a night. Yeah, I bet it was, sounds it. Question number 18, Donald, is what quirks do you have? Yeah, that's one for you to answer, not me. Because <laughs> I have none that I can think of. I'm absolutely quirkless. Quirkless. Other than um, being a stickler for routine. Mm-hmm. I hate change. I would always have breakfast at the same time, lunch at the same time, dinner at the same time, not five minutes either way. Um... Apart from that, um, I don't think I've got any quirk. <laughs> I hate teaspoons. I absolutely hate teaspoons. Teaspoons? Teaspoons. I cannot stand teaspoons. For what reason? Well, when you pick up a cup and there's a teaspoon, it just falls into the bit where the cup has to go. So all you've got to do is to shift the damn spoon every time you want to put the cup. And if you don't take milk and you don't take sugar, why do you need a spoon? What are you going to do with a damn spoon? It's just a pest. I hate teaspoons. I hate teaspoons almost as much as I hate carrots. Nothing in this life would make me eat a carrot. Or overly hard-boiled eggs. Can't stand that either. Poached eggs should be three minutes, 30 seconds, no more, no less. I don't mean three minutes, 40. Apart from that, no quirks. Anything else you want to know? No, I think that answers the question. Well, nah, not, not, a, not a quirk to be had. Not a quirk to be had. <laughs> question 19, Donald. What is the best piece of advice you have ever been given? It came from a story that I was told and was attributed to Alec Douglas Hume when he was the Prime Minister in 1963, I think he became Prime Minister, after Harold Macmillan and before Harold Wilson. And when Sir Alec was the Prime Minister, there was to be a dinner in Number 10 Downing Street, which Mm -hmm. was quite a rare event because Number 10 isn't very big. But it was all the, 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 the greatest of the great who were to be attending. And the story was that the Cabinet Secretary could not work out whether, for the purposes of the seating plan, the King of Romania was less or more important than the President of, of Outer Mongolia, or whatever it was. So he thought, well, Alex are tough, he'll know. So he went to see Alec in the, um, in the Cabinet room where he was sitting behind the table working, and explained that the seating plan and presented this to the Prime Minister. And he just scooped them back up tidied the papers, handed them back to him, and carried on working. And the Cabinet Secretary said, but, but Prime Minister, he said, the seating plan. And Alec Douglas Hume said, those who matter don't mind, and those who mind don't matter. 
And I always thought that was the best piece of advice I was ever given. Absolutely. Genuine people don't care. People who make a fuss, don't worry about them. Yeah. Good advice. Very good advice. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Question number 20. What job would you be terrible at? Teacher. Of, of children. <laughs> don't like children. No time for them. Can't stand children. They don't like me. I don't like them. Um, I would have been. I would have been no patience. A teacher of children. I taught at university a, a bit, and that was fine. Um, but teaching children, oh no, no, anything to do with children, hopeless. <laughs> if I'd ever had been forced to have children, or they had been landed, I would have been a, a kind of Victorian father where. Um, after after dinner and before retiring to my study, they would have been scrubbed, polished and brought to me for 10 minutes so I could dispense with advice and then have the nanny take them away or remove them or something. <laughs> Don't like children, so teacher. Okay. Um, question 21. What is the weirdest talent that you have? Uh, um... Not, it's not so good now as it once was, but the ability to read something once and remember it. Okay. Like um, a photographic memory, kind of? Almost. Yeah. But very, very short term. I, I, I was on the Lothian Health Board for um, four years. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you had to do is to take your turn going to presentations for people who were retiring. And the civil servants would come fussing and they would all have all this briefing stuff about the person who was retiring. And they wanted you to take it away and read it and say, no, no, just give it to me. So waiting to go in to see your bit, and I would just have a quick read of this, go in and repeat it as if I'd known the guy for all my life. Um, and the next day I couldn't have told you what his name was. Right. So I, I could remember things like that very, very short term. The other one, I suppose, is that the variant of that is that things stick with me. I can still recite the whole of the rhyme of the Ancient Mariner by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, and I forget how many stanzas there are, but there's a hell of a lot of them, and I can still do that. Goodness. So I can remember things going back, way, way back, but I'll go into the kitchen and I can't remember why the hell I went in there. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll come to you as well, so don't Well, I think, I think I've reached that stage already. Oh dear. Um, so Donald, the, the final question, question 22, what have you enjoyed most about lockdown? Nothing until now. <laughs> Nothing at home. Has it not been a, a pleasant experience? Um, I miss my job. I desperately, desperately miss my job. Uh, I've given advice to any young lawyers who want to listen and why should they after all but not to do what I have done um, the job's been my life and my life has been the job and that's not right you you, you shouldn't let that happen but that, that's the way it's been so mm -hmm. uh, if this is what retirement is like I'm not retiring not now not ever never not that I had any desire to but this has convinced me don't even think about it yeah. I really have missed my job wow. and the people but I miss the job yeah. all aspects of it what are your own views or do you have views about how things are going to progress, how quickly things might... I don't, I don't think anything's ever going to return to normal or normal as we knew it, but any no. ideas on how things might be in the future or, or 
how quickly things well, return? I, I don't know, Edith. What, what is troubling me just now is that every report you hear about talks on starting again, all people are coming up with are problems, reasons not to do things. Yeah. I don't get a sense that the, the government and the civil servants are driven to try and get the criminal justice system started. Mm -hmm. uh, I, mean, I mean, in England, uh, they are getting it started. In Wales, they're getting it started. Um, and we're having a, a committee meetings chaired by the Lord Justice Clark. That, that means we're a long way down the road, uh, trailing behind others. Yeah. And I just, I just don't think, ever since they floated this appalling notion of doing away with jury trials, and that was knocked on the head. I don't think there has been any incentive on anybody's part from the, the establishment to try and get the criminal justice system going. And I find that really both alarming and disappointing. Uh, and they talk about now there is a need to uh, get the courts going because people are being kept in prison for a long time. We've been people keeping people in prison for years mm -hmm. and nobody, nobody gave a damn. Yeah. Somebody might have to wait more than a year, sometimes even two years for a trial. Nobody cared then, and all of a sudden now, uh, we may need to do away with the jury system to clear the backlog. I don't think so. No. No. And I find that quite worrying, but there we are. Absolutely. Well, I hope for all of our sakes and those of those, particularly the people that are locked up, that things do start moving. But uh, I share your concern about how things have or haven't progressed to date, but that's perhaps a whole new quiz in itself. We shall that's see. A different, that's a different quiz and there'll be a lot of <laughs> difficult know. questions and a, 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 lot of, a lot of difficult answers. The one thing that is for sure certain, we, when we do emerge from all of this, the world is going to be very different. Mm -hmm. How it will be different, nobody knows, but it will be very different. Indeed. Well, Donald, thank you so much. Um, it's been a real privilege and a pleasure uh, asking you those questions and listening to your answers. Just a really great insight into you, the man, uh, as opposed to perhaps uh, who we usually see in court, um, Donald, the lawyer. But that is, that's been really, really interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, I spoke right over the top of you there. Um, yeah, don't make a habit of it. <laughs> Before we go, I wonder if you might uh, nominate someone else to take this quiz. I would have thought you might have enjoyed speaking to somebody like Hugh Matthews. Um, because Hugh, of course, was, was one of us. He was a defence counsel. He was also been a sheriff and, and he's now been a, a judge for a long time and a distinguished criminal judge. Uh, he, you might find him interesting. Thank you very much, Donald. And thank you again uh, for taking time to, to answer these questions. Thank you. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Hay Legal Quiz. We are releasing more episodes weekly, so please sign up for free to Hey Legal on our website to access our free content, legal updates and more. Plus follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and on all podcasting platforms.